0: Well, I think there's a fewer number of teams in the Big Ten that can get to the playoff. There's 18 teams in the league. I think there's fewer in the Big Ten that can get there because I think there's going to be a lot of challenges built in to the 2024 schedule. Hello and welcome in. It is always college football. Today is January 29th. It's Monday and we are starting to really get into the offseason. The coaching carousel, while well, it's spun fast, and it's spun relentlessly. The last couple weeks, it appears that it's slowing down. Right now, Sharon Moore has been named the head coach at Michigan. Nick Saban has stepped down. But Kalen DeBoer has stepped in. Every job at the moment, knock on wood, is settled. We don't have anything to worry about here, at least in the near term, unless... You know, if somebody takes an NFL job, which is always possibility, but right now it appears like things have kind of slowed down and we can start to forecast what these teams might look like here in 24. And we're going to do that today with the Big Ten. We're going to do playoff probability. That, I think, is something that we had some fun with last week with the SEC. We did eight teams in the SEC that I thought could get potentially within striking distance of the 12-team playoff. I don't think there's as many in the Big Ten. Not as many in the Big Ten. Why? Because I think that there are tiers in the Big Ten, and it's really, really top-heavy. So in a roundabout way, it's a compliment to the Big Ten that there's fewer teams because I think the probabilities and the percentage chance of getting four teams might actually be higher than that of the SEC. That's how much I respect what Ohio State's bringing back, and Oregon, and Penn State, and Michigan and the other teams that might have a fighting chance to get to the inaugural 12-team playoffs. Let's kick it off. At the top of the Big Ten, there's a new team at the top that I think has a remarkable chance, a remarkable chance to punch their ticket to the playoff. It might even be 90-plus percent. We'll discuss the Ohio State Buckeyes right now on Always College Football. If you're someone that's just a little apprehensive about the new era of college football, uh, I would kind of fill myself into that campaign group a little bit like I'm really pumped and I love the sport and I understand hey progress is coming whether we like it or not so I'm just embracing what's going to be great about it there's plenty of things to not like about it Uh, totally get that but there's also a lot to get excited about and one thing is I was preparing for this show you want to get really really excited about what we have coming up this upcoming season look no further than the Big Ten's 2024 schedule Okay, we'll, just, we'll start in the non-conference because well, why not? <laughs> we'll start there. On September 7th, you have Texas traveling to Ann Arbor in what was almost a national championship matchup. And the following week, you get another college football playoff team from a year ago in Alabama that is going to be heading to Wisconsin, to Madison. For jump around. You get USC that opens the season against LSU in Las Vegas. You get UCLA in Death Valley on September 21st. Minnesota is playing against North Carolina on August 31st but that could move up a couple of days as well. You get some longtime rivalries that are renewed as well, including Oregon, Oregon State, which is scheduled for September now, not the end of the year. You still have the Apple Cup, which will be played in Seattle this year. You get Notre Dame Purdue, which will be in West Lafayette this year. You get Maryland and Virginia, which will be in Charlottesville. So you kind of start to to pull back a bit and you're like, all right, I'm starting to feel it now. If, you're, if you feel anything like I, I'm getting through like a few sentences and going through the non-conference, I'm like, all right. The, the engine's starting to rev a little bit for me, for sure. Then you think about this. Iowa and Iowa State still have that. Colorado, Nebraska, that'll be exciting to have the Buffaloes traveling to Matt Rule on September 7th. Then you finish the season in non-conference play with USC hosting Notre Dame. So if that doesn't get you going for the Big Ten schedule, I I don't know what does. Other things of significance within the schedule, a couple of dates that really stand out, all right? Well, we know November 30th is excellent. You got Michigan, Ohio State. That's always massive, right? October 5th, you actually have Washington hosting Michigan in the national championship rematch on October 5th. USC's first Big Ten game is at Michigan on September 21st. Their first home Big Ten game is a couple weeks later when they play Wisconsin at home. And then there's that those two weekends. Like you always find, oh man, that's going to be a big weekend. <laughs> you know, you always find those big weekends, and you look first at October 12th, where you have three cross-country matchups. Ohio State at Oregon, potentially top three teams in the country in the preseason that'll tee it up week five. Possible playoff preview, perhaps. You got Penn State in LA. The Coliseum. I should probably, when I say LA, I should, there's two teams down there. So if I say Pasadena, I mean UCLA. If I say LA, I mean LA. That's USC. So Penn State, USC. And then you have Washington, who flies to Iowa. And if you want an indoctrination into what Big Ten football is all about, just go and experience Kinnick there against a team that won 10 games a year ago. So October 12th, circle that date and cancel all your plans. November 2nd, Oregon at Michigan, UCLA at Nebraska, Ohio State at Penn State, Wisconsin at Iowa, and then USC at Washington. So we got a lot of things to be excited about for the schedule. And I just, I had to just start the commentary with that because I'm looking at this schedule and I'm trying to find, remember we did this on Monday with SEC teams. How many teams have a legit chance and what are the percentage chances that they're going to get to the college football playoff? Well, I think there's a fewer number of teams in the Big Ten that can get to the playoff. There's 18 teams in the league. I think there's fewer in the Big Ten that can get there because I think there's going to be a lot of challenges built in to the 2024 schedule, whether it's the non-conference games that we just talked about or the big matchups that we have that I just listed. I just think you're going to have a lot more teams that are sitting around 10-2, and 9-3 and three, Then you're going to have teams that are 11-1, 12-0. Now, I think there's a 12-0 in there. I think there might be an 11-1 in there. But I just think it's going to be a complete gauntlet, 100%. Another thing to remind yourself of as well. There are no longer divisions in the Big Ten. So that means the stranglehold that the Big Ten East had over the Big Ten is going to go away completely. Now, there were 10 title games in which the Big Ten was split into the East and West division. The East went 10-0. They finished 103-86 against the West in the cross-divisional matchups. And there were only two teams in the West that had a winning record against the East foes. Those two teams are Iowa and Wisconsin. Iowa was 17-10. and 10, Wisconsin was 15-12. and 12. So remove those two teams. The other five all finished below 500 against their East counterparts. Now, Iowa and Wisconsin made several trips to the Big Ten championship game. Those appear to be a lot more difficult to come by than they were in the previous setup with the West and the East divisions. Let's be honest. The West was as gettable a division as you'll find. No disrespect. It's just the balance of power in the league. There's a lot more... High quality, high quality, high quality, annually excellent teams in the East than there were in the West. That's not Wisconsin's fault. It's not Iowa's fault. you got to win the games you're supposed to win. And they did. But we've also seen a bunch of parity in the West as well. That's why Northwestern's been to a Big Ten title game. That's why we've seen Iowa in a handful. We've seen uh, we've seen Wisconsin in a handful as well. We've seen Illinois within striking distance as well. So that's just all the things that you need to consider before we start to move into the playoff discussion as it relates to some of these teams, we will start at the top. And know the top for 2024 for me is not the three-time defending champs. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want you guys know I've been all over the Michigan Wolverines for years. Really, really like them. Love their program. Love what they've built. But to me right now, as of today, the team to beat in the Big Ten is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, a lot of people are concerned about Bill O'Brien becoming the offensive coordinator. But how can you deny the impact that the brand of Ohio State has had on the portal? I mean, just the additions are absurd. Absurd. Will Howard. I think Will Howard's an excellent player. Now, you can think about what he was at Kansas State or what he could have been potentially at Kansas State if not having given way to Avery Johnson at some points last year. But when he's been in there, he's been very solid, very, very solid. And I think there's another gear in there that he's now going to hit now that he's at Ohio State. I mean, he threw for 48 touchdowns, threw for nearly 6,000 yards, played a lot of football. So I'm really optimistic about what he's going to do in that offense. It's a very quarterback-friendly system, and I think he's got a lot of talent and ability to be able to take to the next level. But in case the passing game's not rolling at a hundred miles an hour. Don't worry. You just got the best tandem of running backs in the country (laughs) with what Travion Henderson is. And with the addition of Quinshawn Judkins, it's a, who. it's, you can make a case. I mean, you really could make a case that they are two of the top five running backs in the country and they share the same backfield. Just mind blowing proposition for a second. One of my favorite formations in football Outside of like victory formation and the obvious coach speak formations, right? One of my favorite formations in football is split backs. I think it's old school, I think it's natural. Now we've moved split backs gun. You can live with that. Quinchon Judkins on the left, Travion Henderson on the right. Let's go, boys. Just visualize that. And and don't get too excited, like I like I just did, because it's we haven't seen it yet. We don't even know if they have it. We don't know if they will run it, but I'd put it in. And I'd use it a lot because those two guys are really amazing. But you think about also not just the additions of Caleb Downs as well, who I think is one of the best secondary players in the country. I think he's as good as any safety as there was in college football last year, and he was a true freshman. Now, if you want to say, well, Javon Bullard at Georgia or whoever, I mean, there are a lot of really good secondary defenders. I think Caleb Downs is a complete difference maker. And I don't know his EPA or what his wins against replacement would be. I don't know the, net, the stats like that off the back of my hand. All I know is I watch him. And I say, that guy impacts the game every time he's on the field. I also look, too, at the impact he makes on the locker room. I think this guy's a great, great addition from a culture standpoint for Ohio State. So not just what they brought in, but how about we take into account what they brought back? JT Tuli Denzel Burke, Travion Henderson, Donovan Jackson, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, uh, Emeka Buka. The list goes on and on. So the league as a whole... Brought back 10 first-team All-Big Ten players. And Ohio State has four of them. And Molau, Burke, Henderson, and Jackson. Pretty good starting point. Let's look at the schedule. Akron, Western Michigan, Marshall. Feel pretty good, right? We're not going to take too many chances there. 3-0. At Michigan State. At this point, I love Jonathan Smith. I'm not sure it's going to be rolling just yet at that point. Love him there. 4-0. Iowa at home. If it were in Kinnick, maybe a little trickier. I think they'll handle their business at home. Here's the tricky one. On the road at Oregon. Is the loser really going to be out? We'll talk about Oregon in a minute, but I think this game is more for seating purposes and for what color jersey you might wear in the Big Ten title game than it is for anything else. Nebraska at home. Feel good about them there. At Penn State, very tricky game. Very tricky game. Purdue at Northwestern, Indiana, and Michigan. Okay, so I look at that schedule, and I think there are, you know, about three losable games. What are the odds that Ohio State loses all three? I say 10%. Maybe. That's maybe even being the slightest bit aggressive. Well, guess what? Even if they lose two out of three, they're going to the college football playoff. That's why I put the percentage that the Ohio State Buckeyes make the 12-team playoff in 2024 at 90%. They're that good. I feel that good about what they've built and how things set up for them this upcoming season. Let's move next to the Oregon Ducks. Might be a little surprised to see that Oregon is in here. And if you have guys been following the show, I'm kind of going in order of, of how I think things might play out. I think Oregon's in a great position to be able to make the leap. We've seen them play against Ohio State in the past. We've seen Oregon go toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in the country. And I think what Dan Lanning's done in two years is pretty dang remarkable. 21-5 and five record, and he just brought in the number three-ranked recruiting class in 2024, according to ESPN. But you look at three of the five losses that Dan Lanning has had, they came against Washington. And Kalen is no longer there. So nobody else really has his number <laughs> at the moment outside of Kalen DeBoer. And maybe that was more circumstantial, too. Landing and his staff have done an amazing job. I think they're going to be in a great spot. There was a question mark. Hey, Bo Nix is leaving. What do you got? Well, you know, we'll, we won't just take one. We'll take two. And we'll have depth at the position in the event in which Dylan Gabriel misses some time. Dylan Gabriel has been banged up from time to time at Oklahoma. Not a ton, but he's been banged up from time to time. But Gabriel brings an unbelievable amount of experience to the position and a skill set that he doesn't have quite the same arm talent or the, quite the same arm strength as Bo Nix, but he's got that gamer type of feel to him where he can, he's going to keep plays alive. He's going to keep his eyes on field. He's going to get the ball out quick. He's got a really quick release. He threw for 3,600 yards and 30 touchdowns against just six interceptions at Oklahoma last year. So them being able to replace an experienced player with an experienced player is massive, but then you need the developmental guy behind him. Potentially you go and get UCLA transfer Dante Moore, who's the number two pocket passer in the 2023 ESPN 300. He's probably going to be the quarterback of the future. You bring in Kobe Savage who had 115 tackles and six interceptions at Kansas state. The last two years at safety, (laughs) that'll be big considering you did lose some key pieces in the back end, and they have a really difficult schedule. But I am remarkably optimistic with what they bring back and the culture that's been established under Dan Lanning. Like I said, I think 9-3 and gets you on the cusp. I think 10-2 and gets you in to the college football playoff. You got Hawaii, Idaho, and Boise. I think they'll take care of business in all three. The Boise game's interesting, but I still think they'll handle their business. They go to Oregon State. Oregon State's experienced quite a bit of turnover. Lost a lot of really good players off last year. I think Oregon State takes a step back. So even though it's in Corvallis, I still like their chances of being able to get that win in the rivalry game. Then they go to UCLA after that. At this point, I like Oregon more than I like UCLA. UCLA's got a couple holes to fix, a couple things that need to be sorted out. Got to replace a defensive coordinator. More on him in a little bit. But I think they get that win. So you're looking at 5-0 right now out of the gate. Michigan State comes to you. I think you'll handle your business. Ohio State comes to you. Toss-up game. We already talked about that. I think it's a very tricky game for Ohio State. I also think Ohio State's the most talented team in the Big Ten. So toss-up game, let's say they lose that one. Let's just give them a loss. We'll give them and Ohio State a loss in that game, so that way we're not picking a winner. We're just everybody's enemy. (laughs) That works. They're at Purdue, trap game, be careful. You get Ohio State at home, you ramp up for that. That's the tricky part about playing in the Big Ten because you can survive what was an incredible test against an outstanding team like Ohio State. You're going to be beat up. You're going to be physically bruised. You're going to be feeling the effects deep into the next week. You might not feel good until the following Wednesday or Thursday. And then, hey, rally boys, it's time to play Purdue. (laughs) And we've seen what Purdue can do in the past. You catch them on the wrong day, you're in for a long one. Illinois comes to you. You're at Michigan. Very tricky game when you travel to Michigan. We'll see exactly how Michigan replaces a couple key pieces, but they still bring back a really solid contingent of national championship contributors. So I think they should be in good shape there. Maryland's at your place should be okay there at Wisconsin. Very tricky game. Be careful, be very careful, but I still think Wisconsin might be a year away from being able to get over the hump. And then you have Washington at your place in the final week of the season with Jed fish at the helm. Kalen DeBoer is no longer patrolling the sideline for the Huskies. So I think Oregon will handle their business in that game. I think you're looking at 10 and two. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe better. Maybe slightly worse. Either way, I really like your chances. I think even at 9 and 3, with that schedule, you got a real chance of being an 11, maybe a 12 seed overall. But still, I think Oregon is going to make the playoff this upcoming season. I put their chances at 80% to make the college football playoff. Moving on to the defending national champs, team that's won the Big Ten three straight years in really a remarkable run of success for Michigan's program. I mean, as good as they've been in my lifetime over the... I mean, I'm 35. So as good as they've been in my lifetime, I don't know if I've ever seen Michigan this consistently dominant. Over the last three years, man, they have taken the college football world by storm, and now they're in the midst of a bit of an upheaval. Now, they did the right thing, and we talked about this last week. Sharon Moore was a no-doubt slam-dunk guarantee don't waste your time sure if you want to flirt a little bit and see what else is out there go ahead but if this coaching search would have gone in any other direction I would have major question marks I would I would just I just don't know how you can justify it I mean the guy won six games six games as the acting head coach last year in the greatest year in recent memory for Michigan football and, and by the way, kept things together in remarkable fashion, too. I mean, things could have gotten very dicey for Michigan, whether there's distractions or on game day. Like, he had those guys ready to play, and in the toughest games of their season, he had them ready to go. Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State. And then when Harbaugh came back, naturally things went Great, but you would expect that. But Sharro Moore, this was a great hire. I'm I couldn't be more excited about it for him and for the continuity that's going to get created with him being hired. Here's the problem, <laughs> and I, you know me, anyone that's listened to this show for the last most, last year and a half or so, but anyone honestly, if you've listened to me before that, whether it was on one of my previous platforms or whatever it was, like I've been a real, real advocate for this. School. I mean, I've—I don't want to say I've seen things through like maize and blue colored glasses. I haven't, but I've—I've I've seen progress. So I've probably been overly optimistic as it relates to Michigan. Probably have. Just being honest. Um, like for instance, two years ago, like I thought they'd give Georgia a game. You know, I thought they'd boat race TCU. Like you know, I thought, you know. So I look at at Michigan. I, I've probably given them the benefit of the doubt a lot. Now I I am thinking, thinking things might change a little bit here, partly because the staff continuity. Look, having Sharon Moore is great, and that's massive, and I think that's huge, and I think he'll do a great job. Uh, he's the right guy for the job, but Jim Harbaugh's taking a lot of really key pieces with him to the Los Angeles Chargers. in uh, we know that his defensive coordinator is going with him. We know his son's going with them. We know he's taking a handful of other coaches as well. He, he just, as of this morning, it was announced after Sharon Moore and, and Michigan was pretty optimistic, but he's actually even taken the strength and conditioning coach, Ben Herbert, who who's going and being a part of the Charged organization moving forward too. So there actually is, even though they did a great job in trying to create continuity, there is quite a bit of turnover on the staff. And it's going to be paramount for... Sharon Moore to make sure that he adequately replaces some of the coaches that have departed. And that won't be the easiest thing in the world, especially just given how good they've been on defense the last couple of years, doing it a certain way. Now, will they go back to the well and, and go get another guy from the maybe the Ravens? I, I don't know. Uh, but clearly, they've done things a certain way there the last few years, and they've had a ton of success doing it the way they've done it. So I will be curious to see where those hires go to fill some of the vacancies on the staff. But there are more vacancies than I anticipated. Full disclosure. So it'll be curious. I'm very interested in seeing how that goes. As far as their personnel returning, they have a lot of really good players that are back. I mean, if you look at, at some of the guys that have already said, hey, yeah, I'm coming back, going to be at Michigan, all these other things, man, things look pretty good for the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, granted, there, there could be some late decisions. Uh, maybe a guy jumps in the portal. There haven't been really any up to this point uh, of guys jumping into the portal. Maybe they happen. It's not a real opportune time if you're a player to hop into the portal. So I think time is on Michigan's side. But I still think maybe in May, there might be a couple guys that jump in. But as of right now, Mason Graham's back along the defensive line. Colson Loveland's back at tight end. Donovan Edwards is back at running back. Will Johnson's back in the back end. Kenneth Grant's back along the defensive line. Like They have some really key pieces that are back on both sides of the ball. So that is significant. Now, you got to replace J.J. McCarthy. Won't be the easiest thing in the world. But whether it's Alex Orgy or, or maybe they get uh, another year out of Tuttle, which I know they're petitioning for, depending on where they end up going with this. I mean, whatever the quarterback's asked to do, it's going to be in a run first style of attack that is probably going to feature Donovan Edwards. That's probably going to be where the offense starts and stops. Uh, they do have to find a couple great playmakers on the perimeter. But I think they'll be all right there. So I think Michigan's in a great spot. Here's the problem. I think their schedule is brutal. Now, if you look at how things kind of line up, yes, a lot of their toughest tests are going to be at home, but they play three, in my opinion, three of the top five teams in America in 2024. So preseason top five teams, they have three of them on their schedule. One is Texas, one is Oregon, the other is Ohio State. Three of those teams very, very difficult. And then I think they have some very dangerous teams on the schedule as well. If you look at just how dangerous some of these teams are, man, like I think Michigan State is a dangerous football team. I, I know, are they quite going to catch Michigan just yet? No, 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 no. But I think they're dangerous, and I think Jonathan Smith will have that game circled, and I bet they'll play well in that game. I think a game against SC is dangerous, especially early in the season. You get Texas early in the year. Texas will be replacing a couple key pieces, but they've done a good job in the portal too. So I think they've actually replenished a lot of their losses. So when we think about Michigan, I think 10-2 and 2 in the Big Ten gets you in the playoff. No doubt about it. I'd be shocked if a 10-2 and 2 Big Ten team, especially in the non-conference play in Texas, if a team that finishes 10-2 and 2 is in the playoff. Problem is, I think there's at least three losable games on there for the, for the Wolverines. Will they lose all three? Uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily think that's likely. But I think losing to Texas, I think losing to Oregon, and I think losing at Ohio State is a very real possibility. And I wouldn't be shocked if a team like Illinois uh, gives them a tough game on the road. We've seen it happen before. It's right after a road trip. Yeah, they have a bye week in there. They have a road trip to Washington. Then they have a bye week. Then they have a road trip to Illinois. That Illinois game might be tricky, even though it's coming off of a bye. So I'm going to put right now, A team that has been a lock for the playoff in each of the last three years. I'm going to put Michigan's chances of making the college football playoff at 70%. The team that is second best, I think on paper, arguably, arguably, is the Penn State Nittany Lions. You add Julian Fleming at wide receiver, which was a huge need because you had to find a a dynamic weapon on the perimeter. You still got Drew Aller. You still got an excellent one-two punch at running back. You still got Tyler Warren back at tight end. You got to lose a couple tackles. Not ideal, especially knowing how good Fasha knew was on the left side. That's something that you got to make sure that you figure out. You got to replace your defensive coordinator. If I look at what they hired from a coordinator standpoint. Man, I feel great, great about the coordinator spot. I also think, too, knowing that you are not going to bring back either coordinator and you only lost six guys in the portal as of this moment, it's pretty dang sporty. You have major difference makers at running back. You got Abdul Carter back at linebacker, who's one of the best players in the entire Big Ten. They are well-positioned to make a big step this year. A couple questions, replace the tackles, uh, replace the corners, and figure out, make sure that the coordinators are very comfortable in their first year on the job. But I love what they got in adding Tom Allen as the defensive coordinator. Once he was fired in Indiana, he wasn't, didn't take long, immediately stepping in and replacing Manny Diaz. I love Tom Allen's style of defense. I think he does a great job in making sure that quarterbacks eyes are messed with his safeties do a great job of disguising. They do a great job of layering pressures. I'm very optimistic, very optimistic about what he's going to do filling in for Manny Diaz. I think it's a great hire, great hire by James Franklin in identifying Tom Allen as a possible candidate to replace what I think was a great, great coaching job by Manny Diaz. But not to be outdone, on the offensive side, Andy Kotelnicki comes over from Kansas. And if you watch Kansas, and I don't know how much people have paid close attention to Kansas's offense the last couple of years. it's, it's I, don't, I don't want to describe it as weird or wild, but it's just very thoughtful. And it's just a lot of funky things that they put into their offensive game plan that just make things very tricky on the opposing defense. Andy Kotelnicki deserves a ton of credit for creating that creativity and making sure that the defensive coordinators over there burning chalk on the sideline. Like, how do we cover this? How do we cover that? What do we need to do for this? What do we need to do for that? It's it's based in an in, in offense that, that wants to really run triple option. That's not going to be what Drew Aller does, obviously. But they're going to put guys in position to get open and find matchups. So very, very excited about the coordinator hire that they made on offense to replace Mike Yersich as well. Let's go to their schedule. At West Virginia, I think they'll handle their business. West Virginia had a very senior-laden team last year. A couple of guys that need to be replaced for sure, but I think they'll be able to win that game. I feel good about it. Bowling Green, Kent State, Illinois, and UCLA all at home. I think UCLA will be a tough test. I think Illinois will be a tricky test. I think they'll handle their business at home. They're starting the season 5-0. Then they go to USC. Very tricky road trip. And the Coliseum. That one, I think, is a bit of a toss-up. You follow it. With a bye week, then you go to Wisconsin, which is always a tricky place to go play. We'll kind of figure out what things look like for Luke Fickle at that point of the season. But they have a tough test, a tough start to the year. Wisconsin does, that's for sure. Ohio State comes to you. Is this the year that you can potentially get up and knock off one of the Michigans, one of the Ohio States? That is a significant question for James Franklin. You don't have Michigan on the schedule, so you avoid them, but maybe you catch them in the Big Ten Championship game, assuming you might get there. Washington comes to you. I think you'll handle business in that game, even though Washington, just so many guys leaving the roster last year. It's tough to project exactly what they're going to look like. Road trip to Purdue, road trip to Minnesota, then you get Maryland at home. I look at all those situations, all those. I think you're looking at another 10-2. <laughs> I mean, maybe an 11-1. If you can pull off an upset at SC... Or you pull off an upset at home against Ohio State. It's not out of the realm of possibility, man. Now, James Franklin, he beats the teams he's supposed to beat. He struggled with the teams he's not supposed to beat. Well, which team on there outside of Ohio State is he not supposed to beat? That's a question that I think we'll probably try and answer for the next seven months before we kick things off in September. So I think you're looking at 10 and 2 at worst. You're looking at a scenario where you're probably a 70% chance of getting to the college football playoff. So that's four teams. Four teams in the Big Ten with above 70% chance to get in the college football playoff. Remember, there are five at large, uh, or excuse me, six, seven at large teams. And I think one will get in naturally from the Big Ten because they're going to win the Big Ten. We know that. Automatic qualifier. But now you have three teams that are potentially at largest. So the Big Ten looking at a real chance, a very real chance to get four teams in the playoff. I think we might have listed them already. Here's where things drop off a little bit as we move into USC. Now, Lincoln Riley did what he had to do. He had to replace Alex Grinch. Defense coordinator just wasn't working there. It just wasn't working. They go and they get UCLA's Danton Lynn, D'Anton Lynn who I know, I, I played for his dad. I, I've known Danton Lynn since he was a kid. So I really respect him a lot as a football mind. Grew up in the football family. Dad, of course, was a head coach at one point in the NFL. So he knows the game and he knows how to position players and get the most out of players. They also have some pretty good players coming back on defense, but they did lose quite a few pe- people in the portal. 21 players lost in the portal as a, as a whole. That's, that's a lot. And to turn that over immediately is not going to be very easy. But they do bring back Kamari Ramsey uh, from UCLA, so he transfers in. That's big. You bring back your leading pass rusher in Jamil Muhammad, which I think is massive. At Right now, I mean, I think everybody kind of assumes that it's going to be Miller Moss as the number one quarterback, but... It sounds like Lincoln Riley is going to be pretty active in the portal come May. Try to attract maybe an older guy, maybe a younger guy. They already brought in uh, Jaden Mayava, who did a great job at UNLV last year, threw for over 3,000 yards and 17 touchdowns, ran for almost 303 touchdowns on the ground. That was his freshman year. So maybe he pushes Miller Moss. But right now, based on the bowl game performance, it'd be hard for me to picture a scenario where Miller Moss isn't the guy. But look at the schedule. For USC. I think it's really tough. LSU right now, I would give LSU an advantage. It's it's just I think right now, you know, LSU has a ton of problems on defense too. USC had some problems on defense last year. I think LSU right now, their personnel on both sides of the ball is just slightly ahead of that of USC. But either way, that's gonna be a heck of a game there in Vegas to kick off the season. Utah State, that should be a win. At Michigan, very tricky spot. I have a tough time seeing them going up to Michigan and handling their business. I just, the way things went when they went on the road to Notre Dame last year, it's just hard for me to unsee that game. And knowing that Michigan is a more stout version of Notre Dame, it's hard for me to imagine them getting a win right there. Wisconsin at their place. That'll be an interesting one. At Minnesota, Penn State at their place, at Maryland. I mean, it's a back and forth schedule, man. Minnesota, Penn State, at Maryland, Rutgers, At Washington, I mean, it's going to probably take its toll over the course of the season. At Washington, Nebraska, at UCLA, and then Notre Dame. I think you're looking at a scenario about 8-4 and for SC. Maybe slightly better, maybe slightly worse. There's a lot of losable games on that schedule. Now, I think USC's always got the potential to rally up and pull off some stunners, no doubt. They're going to have talent. They're going to have speed. They're going to be able to run with anybody in the Big Ten outside of maybe a team or two. They're going to be in a great spot to make a lot of plays, but will they ultimately get enough wins to get within striking distance of the college football playoff? I have a hard time envisioning that type of rally up here this year. I'm going to put their percentage chance of making the college football playoff at 20% here in 2024. We'll move next to a team that would have been a fringe playoff contender this year, but things are changing drastically in the Big Ten. We already talked about getting rid of divisions. There's no one who benefited more in the Big Ten over the last decade than Iowa with the divisions set up the way they were. Now, Iowa beat plenty of great teams. Remember them beating convincingly an Ohio State team that that was the loss that kept them out of the playoff. So we've seen Iowa do it before. I just think it's going to be really tricky right now. Now, they played their last nine games without Cade McNamara. So it's almost difficult to kind of figure out what they're going to look like offensively. As of right now, I know they're going to be elite on the defensive side. There's no doubt. They bring back a handful of very veteran players. Uh, Jamari Harris is obviously a guy that's played a ton of football. You get back Jay Higgins, who's excellent. Very, very optimistic about what he can be. Sebastian Castro, Nick Jackson. They got some really good pieces on the defensive side. and They didn't have a ton of turnover in the portal either. So you kind of know what you're going to get with them. It's just, will we get enough offensively to be able to challenge some of the other teams that they would face? And they might have to score 30 to get a win. Even a good performance defensively against some of these teams that we just listed, holding them to 30 is pretty dang good. I just don't know if it's going to be enough. Now, they're one of the few teams, too, that actually has three annual foes in the scheduling model, the Flex Protect Plus for the Big Ten. So they'll get familiar. They have Wisconsin every year. They have Nebraska every year. And they get Minnesota every year. So the way things are structured right now, they'll get those teams every year, but then they'll kind of rotate the other six games uh, accordingly. But the schedule in 24 looks like this Illinois State, Troy at Minnesota. Minnesota game's a tricky one. Obviously, it's a losable game. The one that they should be right there in the mix of. I don't think they go to Ohio State and get a win. Washington comes to them. Will they be able to play bully ball against Washington? That's something we need to find out. At Michigan State, Michigan State, I think will be better. Will Michigan State have enough offense at that point to be able to challenge against an Iowa defense that probably hold them in check? I think that game's a toss up. Northwestern's at their place. I think they get that one against Northwestern. I think they get the one against Wisconsin potentially. Even though Wisconsin has had their number at times in the past, it's a new world. (laughs) It's a new Wisconsin. But it's not a new Iowa. So it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how that thing kind of shakes out. Because I think that's a very interesting game for where these programs are at and where they might be heading. At UCLA, at Maryland, and then Nebraska at home to finish things up. I'm going to put their college football playoff chances at about 10%. I don't right now see them getting through that schedule at 9-3 and or better. I think the UCLA game's a tricky one. I think the Maryland game's a tricky one. I think the Ohio State game's a tricky one. I think you look at the Michigan State game, that's a tricky one. I think 9-3 and three is, is certainly within possibility. But is the schedule challenging enough to potentially push them over the edge and get them into a college football playoff type of scenario? That's something I'm really curious about. But I love what Kirk Ferentz has built. I just don't know if they're going to be able to eclipse enough teams to get into the top 11 because I don't see a scenario where they can win the Big Ten, not at least at the moment. And then as far as some of the other new coaches, Wisconsin, where are they going to be right now? Tyler Van Dyke's coming in from Miami. Uh, you, you have a couple of good defensive backs back and Hunter Wohler and Holm, Ricardo Holman Uh I, I don't know what to expect from Wisconsin. I think they'll be a year better. I think they'll be better in the offense. I think Van Dyke, it's a great landing spot for him. Should have a good feel for that offense uh, with how they want to push the ball down the field. It's kind of what he does. So I think that's actually a really good fit, but it has got to be more to the equation for Wisconsin. That was a team that was really high on last year. I'm going to be a little bit more cautious with heaping praise on the Badgers heading into this year, but I still love Luke Fickle, and I believe in the program that he will build In time, I don't think Jonathan Smith at this point is going to have enough on that Michigan State roster to have them contending immediately. But here two, three years from now, it won't be long. He'll get things going. Kurt Signetti brought over a bunch of guys from James Madison, but Indiana at this point, I think they're more the spoiler than they are a team that's going to be within striking distance of the playoff. And then Washington, a team that was four quarters away from winning a national championship. Some people might say they were a, a quarter away from winning a national championship, down seven there in the fourth quarter against Michigan. They hired Jed Fish. I just think there's too much turnover at Washington to expect them to be back in a scenario where they were in last year. They have really good players and they've retained a bunch of quality pieces. And he's brought a couple pieces with him from Arizona. But are they going to have enough to go week in the week out against that gauntlet that is the Big Ten schedule? That's a big question that I have at the moment. Some news and notes here. Uh, Alex Grinch, former defensive coordinator for USC and Oklahoma, has taken the safety's job at Wisconsin. Now, I think it's a pretty good get for Wisconsin. You lose a really well-respected recruiter to Alabama, not ideal to lose a guy that is really, really well-liked on the trail, but you're able to fill it with a guy that had at one point been rumored to be a head coaching candidate at several other places. Even though people will look at his tenure at SC and and make jokes, I, I get it, believe me, The defense, at SC, not great. But there was progress actually made at Oklahoma when Alex Grinch was there. Remember, this is a guy that had some success as the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Like He's actually had a pretty good career. Didn't go well at SC. I understand that. But now he's back coaching a position group that he's done a pretty decent job with in the past. So I think this is actually a very good hire for Luke Fickle and the Badgers. Tim Lester is going to be named the offensive coordinator for Iowa. Now, a lot of people are looking at it. He's coming from the Packers. He was an analyst there. Uh, Lester was the head coach of Western Michigan after P.J. Fleck left for Minnesota. Uh, Had a bit of an up and down run as a head coach. Um went 6 and 6 in 2017, led him to back-to-back winning seasons and appearances in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl and the First Responder Bowl respectively. And then things didn't go so well. He started 2 and 5 and then finished 5 and 7. Uh, and was fired in November of 22. He also has in the past served as a Power 5 coordinator, but it wa- it wasn't one that you guys probably would remember, I frankly, even though I live in this world, there were parts of 2014 and 2015 when he was at Syracuse uh, that were somewhat forgettable. Uh, he became the OC five games into the 2014 season. They went one and six uh, in his time there, but his overall record as a power five OC was just five and 14. But was that more about the place and the personnel or was it about the scheme? Uh, I don't necessarily no, but I do know this, he does have experience in the Big Ten, which I think is beneficial. Uh, he spent the 2016 season uh, as the quarterback's coach at Purdue. Uh, now, it was a rough year um, for the Boilermakers overall, but they did have some offensive success that year. Uh, David Blau was the quarterback. You might remember David Blau. Uh, he threw for nearly 3,400 yards and 25 touchdowns. There Also threw a bunch of picks that year, but they had, I think, decent offensive performance there in 2016. So they didn't have a good record collectively, but Lester did do some good things with his position, even though there were some mistakes made by Blau in the process of his development. So all in all, after a search that had had a lot of rumors and and kind of pointing to Paul Crist and other things, I think they ended up in a pretty good spot a uh, guy with head coaching experience, a guy that knows the league, a uh, guy that has been in Power 5 OC in the past and just spent some time with a really good offense with the Green Bay Packers. So I think there's there's a lot to like. Just what is the offense going to look like? Is it going to look like the offense that Kirk Ferentz wants to run? Or is it going to be a little bit more new age, like a lot of the fans and a lot of the, the people that have been covering Iowa are, are kind of wanting? So we'll be curious to see exactly how that goes. The ACC unveiled the full 17 Team twenty twenty four schedule last week. We are going to dive in to the ACC a little bit deeper in a future show. We've done the playoff predictor, if you will, the playoff percentage probability the last couple weeks. The Big Ten today, the SEC last week. We will get into the ACC and the Big Twelve and some of the other leagues as well, and we evaluate maybe the G five too. Um, Teams that might have a chance to get to the college football playoff because the G5 now has access, right? But we will dive into the 17-team ACC schedule next week. So keep it locked in here on Always College Football. And Coobs, I know you are very hot and heavy about what's going down in Austin, Texas, or... In a roundabout way, Provo, Utah. After what went down with the horns down T-shirts, what 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 are you up in arms about, my friend? It's not just Provo. It was UCF a couple of weeks ago. It was, you know the horns down. All right, this can't be something that everybody talks about. Like, are we becoming too sensitive about this now that Texas is about to be about to join the SEC? If I'm a rabid SEC fan and I see how much this is upsetting them right now. You think that's going to prevent me from doing this on a week in and week out basis? Like, what are we doing here? I I understand everyone's feelings about horns down. I personally think it's absurd. I don't know why they care so much. Um, in college football, we love to hate more than we love to love, and and that's okay. That's our that's our thing. It's especially in the Southeastern Conference. So if you're bent out of shape about horns down shirts being made by the student section at BYU. Uh, I just want to give you a nice, clean warning. Don't go to Baton Rouge at any point at night in the next couple of years. Uh, don't don't go to Starkville, Mississippi in a couple of years. Very nice fans, but you will hear about it. All right? You will hear about it, and while they are ringing responsibly, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear about it in Knoxville. You're going to hear about it in Auburn. You're going to hear about it in Tuscaloosa. So, well, I understand in the Big 12, they had made it a real point of emphasis. Hey, we're not going to do the horns down. That's a 15-yard penalty. It's unsportsmanlike, all these other things. Yeah, it's unsportsmanlike, fine. But it's also it's supposed to be hard going on the road. Life is hard. You know, going on the road in college football is hard. Uh, going on the road in college basketball is hard, as we've learned the last couple of weeks with some of these teams. Miss Auburn, top eight team in the country, lost twice on the road last week. So, like, if we learned anything, it's hard to go on the road in college athletics. We get that. Um, don't make it harder on yourself by being sensitive about Thor, the opposing team putting the horns down. All y'all that are, that are Texas fans, y'all know I have a ton of respect for the Longhorns, right? Like, y'all know that. You know, I, I frankly, I love Texas. Like I, I love when they're good. I love when they're relevant. It's been great to have them back in the mix the last year or so. Uh, I, at one point, did Horns Down too. Like, was I dumb? Yeah, probably. But Texas survived me doing the Horns Down there in the Rose Bowl back in 2009. It, it happens, all right? Sorry for doing it, but I still love you. And I hope that people understand that doing Horns Down If anything else, man, to me, (laughs) I think it's, uh, I don't want to say it's respectful, right? But it's acknowledging, it's acknowledging that when you beat Texas, it's a big deal. When you beat Texas, you rush the court. You rush the field. It's a big deal. So people are going to do horns down. I would advise Texas, don't make a huge deal out of it anymore because it's only going to get bigger. (laughs) It's only going to get bigger as you jump into the SEC here in 2024 for all sports because in the SEC, you're going to run into some hostile crowds. I'm just telling you, it's the best. You're going to love it. But there's going to be some hostility on the opposing sideline when you are the visiting team. That is for sure. A couple other things that we got to clean up as well. Uh, Benjamin Green, okay, if you're listening to the show, uh, you won the Bowl Mania. And we really need you to hit us up in our social media at CFB. Uh, we need your address so that we can send you your whiskey glasses. You're always college football whiskey glasses. You want them. So we need to hear from you, my friend. So if you're listening, hit us up on our social media. You won the Col- the bowl mania. Terrific job. Excellent, excellent stuff. Hit us up. Send us your address and we'll get those to you as soon as humanly possible. We'll have more things like that here coming up in the future too because we are very, very, very appreciative of all All of our listeners, I think we'll probably this year, because the bowl mania was so much fun and it was such a success. I think we'll probably do some preseason prognostications here in 24. And if you nail some bold preseason predictions, then I think you might be rewarded with some always college football paraphernalia. Does that sound like a good plan? We'll make sure that we make that happen for y'all. So start sending those in too. always CFB. You're not going to get credit for being first. You're going to get credit for being right. So <laughs> so if you want to start lobbing them in and you want to say Michigan's going five and seven and they go five and seven, uh, then you will be rewarded with a whiskey glass or something of the sort. Sound good? We appreciate all of you for coming to us again, as always, at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your show. Uh, If you would, follow us on social media at alwayscfb on both Instagram and on Twitter. So you can interact with the show on there as well. We'll continue to actually post questions on there also. And we'll start to get some of your responses in here as we move further into the offseason. So for all of us here at Always College Football, Mark, Jake, Jack, the other Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have an amazing day. Remember, it's always college football.